You're listening to a sermon from Redeeming Life Church. So, I hope most of you know Brett. Brett leads a house fellowship in North Salt Lake with Danny. Many of you have visited or are a part of that. Um, if you're not a part of a house fellowship, that'd be one worth looking into. He does ministry work, uh, kind of as his full-time job with Impact You, and uh, and he's faithfully just driving forward in what God has gifted men. So I'm hoping to see some guys equipped. We're going to give him an opportunity to preach and, uh, and hope that faithfully he will <laughs> proclaim God's word. I'm sure he'll do well. Um, I just want to pray for him. If you guys would be willing to just bow your heads and pray with me. God, thank you for Brett, for the message that you have put in him. I pray that it would, it would be delivered in a way that would impact us tremendously. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have a man of faithful desires ahead of you. Um, doing the work and proclaiming the gospel of you as you've called him to do. I ask you to continue to shape his character, continue to pave a path for him, Lord, to serve you well. It's not as he preaches, Lord, may we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Um, Before I get started, um, there's something I want to do. Brian doesn't know about this, so sorry, man. I'm hijacking the service. Um, Last month was Pastor Appreciation Month. my wife and I have been in ministry for a few years, not as many as Brian or not as many as some, um, but we thought it would be nice to do something for you guys. Um, it's not much, it's not fancy, but we all together collectively said we love you guys. Um, some of us know how hard ministry can be. Those that are not in ministry still know how hard it can be. Um, lonely, discouraging, ups and downs like crazy. Um, and so this is uh, something that everyone pitched in on together um, in word and deed and finances and whatever. Um, so if you guys want to come up here, Asher, come on up here too, buddy. Um, this is just a very, very small thing that we all, from us as a family, just want to say that we love you guys. We're with you guys. We feel like we're a part of the family. We are so glad that you guys are the spiritual parents of this thing. Um, and so from everyone here, we just want to give you this. It's just a little, a little tiny thing where we all wrote something encouraging, um, something that we appreciate about you guys encouragement so hopefully in the days that are discouraging and are hard which we know we're going to be there you can look at this and hopefully be like man my family's with me um and we deeply appreciate you guys and so there's that you can hang on your wall we also know being being parents is hard um i'm sure those of you that are parents of older kids than me and my wife know that better but we want to give you guys this gift card for 150 bucks to go out on a date to go do whatever you want with it and we will volunteer to babysit your kids. <laughs> All of them. Well, that's the deal. They are pretty tough boys. So you might need to yeah. be there. So we're not babysitting unless we can all do it together. But we want you guys to know that we're with you. We love you. It's a week late, but better late than never. Thank you guys for being a part of leading us into this great journey. You guys are a huge, huge blessing to us. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to have you guys as my first senior pastor. I couldn't have asked for a better group. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right. Now that I'm all emotional. <laughs> oh, man. So like Brian said, this is, a, this, is an, this is an honor for me to be up here. Uh, this is a huge responsibility that I take very seriously. Um, uh, so for the last, man, I don't know how many weeks, months, we've been... Well, two months almost. We've been going through Romans. Um, the first three and a half chapters have been really deep. It's been really difficult at times, but as we've talked about, you can't understand and appreciate beauty of the gospel unless you start with why the gospel is necessary. And so 
Brian has been faithfully leading us through this kind of this really deep, really hard, very sobering is a word I like to think of it. It's it's appropriately sobering. Um, without um, without this um, understanding of the gospel and this sober realization of God's divine wrath upon sin, um, there's no way that we can see the gospel for what it truly is, which is this beautiful proclamation of God's love and goodness that comes to us because of faith through in Jesus through faith. That's all a gift. And because of that, we finally get to um, Romans 3. If you guys want to turn there with me, Romans 3, starting in verse 21. This is the passage that, that um, Brian just read. So Romans 3, 21 through 31. He just read it. Um, and so let's just jump right in here. So all of this wrath, all of this judgment, all of this hard stuff. Brian has been like, I can't wait to get to the gospel piece. It's going to be so great to finally preach on the gospel. And then he lets some some dude <laughs> take the first turn into the gospel. And so I'm just, once again, thanks for this opportunity. He's humbled himself and it's humbling to be up here and try to faithfully speak what God has put in here for us. And so disclaimer, there is so much stuff in this section right here that I was telling Zach, it's just like one verse and each word is like this wide and the next word is like this deep and it's just like how do you put all this together in one thing and so this is by no means exhaustive um, but let's look right at verse 21 chapter 3, it says but now and that feels good to say that that means but now, that means now we are turning a corner Paul is saying we are transitioning onto something different here, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, so right off the bat, Paul right here is drawing a distinction between the old way and the new way of righteousness. We've, been, we've heard a lot about how the law and the prophets, they demand a sacrifice for sin. There is no getting out of it. God's wrath and His righteousness deserves and demands a sacrifice for sin that we have created, that we are born with. There is something that has to be, there has to be an atoning sacrifice. So Paul is drawing this distinction right away, and he wants us to see that the righteousness that we are now talking about is going to be coming through grace and not through human works or effort. The phrase that encapsulates this entire, the entire Old Testament teaching here is the law and the prophets bear witness to this. This would be something where we look at Isaiah 53, 5, which says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. And so we see the law and the prophets even prophesying this that there is going to be a time that there needs to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins and that this righteousness of God is going to demand a sacrifice. And so Paul is wanting to make sure that the Jews, especially in this audience, hear that this doctrine is not a new doctrine. This is actually a doctrine of grace and righteousness that the law and the prophets have been talking about the whole time. So this is something that is not new, but it is something that is coming on as Jesus as. Jesus fulfills these prophecies and these laws. So he didn't come to abolish the laws. He said he actually came to fulfill them. And we see this happening right here in verse 21. So verse 22, excuse me, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we'll stop right there. I want to notice, I want you guys to know the word faith or through faith that phrase or that word is used eight times in these ten verses. 
So faith is huge in this section. As we talk about the gospel, as we talk about receiving God's righteousness, all of that is encapsulated in this, in this, in this uh, canal or this method of faith. This happens through faith. You get there through faith. Faith in Jesus and what ha- was accomplished on the cross. So once again, Paul is going to great lengths here to communicate that the righteousness that comes solely from God is through faith in the person and the work of Christ. And this is not only just available to some, but now we see in verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified and are redeemed. We go all down these things. We're going to see this for all applies to this whole text. And so all, there's no distinction now. Jew, Greek, Gentile, Samaritan, whatever. All are now have the opportunity to receive this grace, to receive this justification, to receive this redemption from Christ. And so this is beautiful. This is um, this is one of the most incredible things I, th- I think about the gospel is that there is no, in some sense, there's no exclusivity. It is for all people, all that will believe in faith through Jesus. And so no distinction. All are unrighteous. All of us. We learned last week. No one seeks God. No one understands. None. None is righteous. Not even one. And so how do we be righteous? Well. Paul is going to walk us through how we receive that righteousness and our justification. Um, so verse 24, verse 23, excuse me, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, are, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see that justified by His grace as a gift Think about a gift. We've talked about this a lot in house fellowship and other things. A gift is something that you don't go and buy. You re- Brian and Lisa's thing tonight. They had no idea that was coming. They received it, though. I handed it to them. They took it. They could have chosen to say, I don't really want that. No thanks. It's kind of a, it's kind of a cheap frame, I can tell. You know? But they received it. They received it. They took it. They actively engaged with the gift and took it home. This is what we're talking about with, with Jesus, the grace that is from God. We have the gift given to us, presented to us. Our choice is, are we going to take that gift? And so we see that, um, that Christ, in His obedience, is actually the one that satisfies the Father's justice, and this is where the redemption piece comes in. Um, so through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I love, I love this word, and this is where we'll start to spend most of our time, is talking about... Um, how our justification and our redemption comes through faith in Christ. Um, so the Greek word for redemption, if I can pronounce this correctly, hopefully, is apolutrosis, apolutrosis, which means to release or the affected by payment of ransom. And so this idea, we see the same language used in the Greek in Ephesians 1.7, which says, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, meaning Jesus again, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us. That's beautiful. Um, And so as we start to get into this redemption thing, Paul goes on and and talks about the we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
Now, you guys hear the word propitiation. So your reaction might be the same as mine. It's like, what in the world does that word even mean? It's a really fancy seminary term that Brian probably knows really well. <laughs> but it's a simple, fancy term. Simple, fancy. It's probably an oxymoron. But it's just a fancy term that means a sin offering or a covering. There's this idea of kind of a bridging the gap for something. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into this word propitiation. We're going to see how it's used in the Old Testament a little bit. And this is really what is exciting for me as I was studying for this and digging through some stuff and trying to figure out how to make this kind of come to life, like what, helping us understand propitiation a little bit better. Um, and so um, one of the first references that Paul makes in this propitiation by his blood, um, that goes all the way back to Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrificial systems. Blood is a huge deal in the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's actually a huge deal in the New Testament because of what Jesus did and his blood being an incredible key component to the gospel. Uh, we sing songs like, He washed away our sins, we're covered by His blood, the blood of the Lamb. Um, all of these things are true. And so in verse 25, Paul is alluding to a couple of key Old Testament references that would have been very, very familiar to Christians in Rome at the time, especially the Jews. Um, so the first Old Testament reference that we see from Paul is this, the Day of Atonement. And so the Day of Atonement, as I... If I'm correct in this, hopefully, if there's any heresy, feel free to correct me on the way. But as I studied this, this was fascinating. It blew my mind how deeply um, specific the Day of Atonement was and how, incredible, how incredibly involved that was. So the Day of Atonement was one day a year where all of Israel would, would gather and they would have to confess their sins publicly to the high priest. So if you can imagine how awkward that would be. Like, if we all, even just in this room, if we're like, all right, Brian, why don't you throw your sins up on the screen? We're going to check this out here. And so Brian's sins, and we just go down this bullet point list. And Danny, why don't you throw yours up there? Oh, real? Oh. I mean, could you imagine? You know, and then we, well, I didn't mean it like that. But then we throw Brett's up there, and then everyone's like, oh, man, why is this guy even preaching? You know, but could you imagine that? The, the entire nation is confessing their sins in front of everyone else. Like, we're like, hey, I sinned and did this. And the guy next to you is like, wow, I live next to this guy. You know? And so this has been, I mean, what an incredibly awkward experience to confess all of your sins to the high priest. Um, and then he would take all of those sins. He'd somehow remember all of that. And then he would have multiple sacrifices, two goats, and I think it was a ram. And he would take those, he would take those in to, to sacrifice them. And one of the one of the things that struck me in Leviticus 16 was the Hebrew, the Hebrew word kafar, which means covered, is used 13 times in this one chapter alone. And so we see this idea of covering or being covered for these sins is huge. And so on this day, the entire nation is confessing their sins. The high priest went to the most holy place and is making atonement for all the sins of all the people. And he's the only person that can do that. So he is the mediator between the people and God. So keep that in your mind. One man is actually the mediator between you and God and right standing with Him. Old Testament um, thing to keep in the back of your mind for later. Um, and so one of the things that was beautiful is in this ceremony, there's two goats that are supposed to be a part of this ceremony. One of these goats is to be sacrificed for our sins. And the sins, and it signifies you spilling the blood, pouring the blood, sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat, which that word means covering as well. And so this bl the blood of this first go is to take away our sins. It's the atonement. It's the covering. It's, it's a temporary covering for our sins. And so that's the other thing about the Old Testament sacrificial system where even as the priest was constantly offering sacrifices for the people, it was only temporary. It was never supposed to be a complete 
done thing. It was never done. They were constantly doing sacrifices. And so this one goat signifies this is your sin. We kill the goat. We sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat. That means your sins are forgiven. The second goat, which I thought was fascinating, you guys have probably heard the term scapegoat. I never really thought about that much or where that came from. Um, But we see the scapegoat is literally what it's called in Leviticus 16, the scapegoat. (laughs) That's not an American term, apparently. It's an Old Testament term. Um, This goat, as it was killed and the blood was sprinkled again, this, actually, excuse me, that's not correct. Back up. That was heresy. Um, (laughs) The scapegoat. The priest would take all the sins that were confessed to him and he would put his hands on the goat's head and he would speak all of the sin over from all the people onto that goat's head. And that's just weird. You think about, <laughs> come here. And we're just, all right, and Danny and Brett's sin. I know, I know, but just, so he's <laughs> confessing all this sin on this one goat's head and then they send this goat off to be wandering in the desert just to, to, to be left for dead or whatever happens. And that was to signify the removal of guilt and shame. And I think that was beautiful. Jesus, we see, I mean, this, I mean, you guys are already probably putting the dots together, but this is beautiful. There's a sacrifice that takes away and kind of covers the sin, saying, okay, you guys have confessed, we're covering this now. And then the other piece is you're free from guilt and shame. That's beautiful. This is in the Old Testament. We haven't even got to Jesus yet, but I know you guys are starting to... See the pieces coming together here. And so that, was, that is beautiful. And so that's the first Old Testament reference Paul's alluding to here as he talks about as a propitiation by his blood. That one phrase encapsulates that and many other things. The second Old Testament reference we, we see Paul talking about here, a couple, couple lines down um, in verse 25, it says, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And what does that sound like? Passover. And so we all are probably pretty familiar with the Passover, um, but if we're not, the Passover, you can read about in Exodus 12. Um, Paul is alluding to the story of Israel's redemption from Egypt and how they were being brought out of slavery, um, which, and so this Passover event is actually completely rooted in redemption. And so, once again, just like the Old Testament Day of Atonement instructions, there's a lot of specific instructions for the Passover as well. Everything from a land that's without blemish, you're supposed to put blood on the doorposts, and the lintel, which I had to look up what a lintel means. A lintel is the thing that goes across the top. You guys probably already knew that, but I didn't, so I'm learning. <laughs> so blood on the doorpost, the lintel, it's a blood covering. You see that imagery again? A blood covering the door, which is covering the household. And so one of the things, as I noticed, is this, this whole specific instruction was given to people that were following Jesus. They were people that were following God. They were Israel. They were God's people. And so those that were doing this wouldn't just be everybody. It was people that were saying, I am a part of God's people. And so very specific instructions on when to eat the meat, how to eat the meat, how to cook it, um, on all this stuff. And then the climax of that event was as they put the, the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, the Lord would pass over the house. And if their, if their doorway was covered in, the lamb, in a perfect lamb's blood, if the door was covered with a perfect lamb's blood, he would pass over and he would spare them. He, God would spare them and keep them safe from striking down all the, for, the firstborn in that household, whether it be children or animals. So once again, we have this beautiful, beautiful illustration of God covering his people and providing a way for them to be free from their sins. 
And this is beautiful. And so, so much. And we could go into all sorts of other things with that as well. But this is beautiful how Paul is bringing us and speaking to the Christian audience in Rome by saying, hey, look, like this thing, this Jesus, I know we've been talking a lot about wrath and judgment, but you have no idea the beauty that has come in the gospel, the beauty that has come through Christ and what he did on the cross. And here's, let me tell you, everything you've learned, everything you've been doing your whole life for centuries and centuries, all your ancestors, they've been doing all this stuff. This is all about Jesus. Everything that was done was, was to, was to um, precursor the life of Christ and everything that he came, and came to do. And so we see, i got a, just a quote that I want to read from one of my commentaries. It said, Until this time in history, we saw a, com- a complicated system full of sacrifices that had atoned for the sins of the people, as we just learned about from the Day of Atonement and the Passover. And because people continually sin, there were always sacrifices being made. But now, Paul is explaining that Jesus became the final and ultimate sacrifice for all sin, past, present, and future. We see this in the final moments of Christ's life as He hung on the cross. That is beautiful to me. And we're not even to the Jesus part really yet. But this is Jesus. All of it is about Jesus. So Paul has just shown us these two very important Old Testament practices, these things that he says, look, you've been doing this for years. This is about Jesus too. And as we, and as we see that the work of Christ is accomplished on the cross, we, we, we want to turn, I want to turn to John 19. You can turn there with me if you want. John 19, 28 and 30. This is one of my favorite studies that I ever did. Um, John 19, starting verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is one of my favorite passages because of the phrasing of it is finished. Um, the Greek word for that phrase is tetelestai. And one of the most beautiful words to me, it's one of my favorites because of what it means. It's literally translated, it is finished. That whole word means that phrase. And these two verses right here, verse 28 and verse 30, this is the only place where that term shows up in the New Testament. The word tetelestai was written on many New Testament documents when prisoners were thrown into prison and they had all these, these lists of, you owe this debt and this debt and this debt and you couldn't pay the debt, you got thrown in prison. And when you were thrown in prison, you either somehow paid it. I don't know how you pay it if you can't work and you're in jail. I don't know how they expect you to pay that bill. Or somebody comes and pays it for you. So either you somehow just come into a large inheritance and somebody in your family gives you that money or you have somebody pay it off for you. That's the only way you're going to be free, released from that bondage. And so this is a beautiful word that also like literally means paid in full. And so Brian and I were talking about this as we were preparing for this, and I don't remember what the number was, but there's tons, thousands, would that be fair to say? A lot. Thousands of New Testament documents that are extra-biblical, meaning not in this, of New Testament-timed Documents where people had financial obligations, people owed things, and when they actually paid the debt, they stamped that word on there in Greek, 
boom, to Telestai would be written across this list of my debts to Telestai. And then you would keep that receipt. And this means, look, you can't come and charge me. I, this debt is paid in full. And I love that. And so this is, this is incredibly important for us to understand because as we look at the work specifically that was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, this word, it is finished, means there's nothing else left to do. And so that begs the question for us, are we trying to do something as Christians to finish the work that Jesus has already done? I know in my life I do that. I know there's been moments where I, I think if I just do... Ugh, I will be in right standing with God. If I just do more Bible study, if I just do more prayer, if I serve more, and then God will really, I'll feel like I'm in a better place with God. It's not how it works. Jesus has already paid that debt. Everything that I am and everything that I am going to be is, in his mind, perfected because my identity is in what happened on the cross. It is finished. It's paid in full. There's nothing else I have to do to earn anything in terms of my right standing with God for salvation. And so, one of my second favorite places to go is Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. If you guys want to turn there, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but this is so important to understand redemption and what really happened in that, in that place on the cross. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1. It's a little bit lengthy, but this is, this is so important for us to understand what Paul is getting at and why, this, why the gospel is such a big deal. So, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the things to come. So once again, he's talking, the author of Hebrews is already going back to say, hey, look, the shadow of what is come, the Old Testament, the shadow is not actually the, the whole thing. A shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a minder of sins every year. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like it when people remind me of my sin. Uh, accountability is rough in that way, but it's, it's good. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, and this is a quote from Psalm 40, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had, when he had said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are, are offered according to the law. Then he added this, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And this is where it gets really, really, really good. Verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it keeps getting better. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all the time those who are being sanctified. 
And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to this, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. In the last verse, verse 18, Where there is forgiveness of sins, excuse me, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Whoa. I hope you guys catch all... I mean, that is ridiculously packed with gospel beauty. Verse 11, Every year, every priest... Excuse me. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. I love that. I could sit down right now. But this, this is beautiful... I know. Exactly. Ed has just proven the point to which I am going. Old Testament times, the priests would constantly be standing, constantly be offering sacrifices, constantly be doing this and do that and do this, because there was never a final sacrifice. It was always going. Could you even imagine the smell hanging out in a place like that? Really. Dead animals, blood, burnt offerings. I mean, gross. Constant, constant sacrificing going on. So the priest would constantly be standing busy doing this stuff. And so beautiful, the author of Hebrews says, he sat down indicating that his work on the cross was complete. It was final. And it sharply contrasts this standing priest thing where, we're just always, where they were always busy making sacrifices. So because of Jesus, there are no more sacrifices to be made. That is beautiful. And at the same sentence, after it says, He sat down, where did He sit? And this matters a whole lot. He sat down at the right hand of God. You guys have probably heard that phrase a bunch of times. That basically just means that is the highest place of authority and honor next to God. That is the place to sit. Remember the disciples being like, Hey, Jesus, when we die, where could we sit? You know, you remember that story? And Jesus like, you don't even know what you're asking. <laughs> disciples. <you know? laughs> but... So Jesus' work is not only complete, it's not only final, but His work is perfect. The guy is going to be sitting at the right hand of God. Whatever He did was perfect. So this, this has to translate to us. Unfortunately, we as a sinful people are tempted to continue to try and complete what Jesus already did. We're always trying to perfect what Jesus has already done. And so my question for us tonight is what struggles, sins, or circumstances in your life have you taken out of Jesus' hands and attempted to deal with on your own? Something just to think about. I know for a long time, uh, growing up in a Christian home, going to church every Sunday, being on the praise team, doing all these Christian things, I did not know Jesus. Um, one of the things that kept me from really knowing Jesus was this issue of identity for me and how my identity was completely wrapped in wanting my dad to love me, wanting my dad to affirm everything I did, wanting him to say, man, nice job, Brett. That was, that's awesome. And granted, we should want our dads to say that. That's okay. But when it crosses the line from, I, I'd like that, to I need this to be whole, that's when it gets really dangerous and really unhealthy. And so my whole life I lived in this place of never really, never really coming to grips with who I really was as a Christian, as a professing Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I had no idea what that even meant. Um, and so 
uh, two years ago, three years ago, six years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> we were at a church. I don't remember how many years that ago was. And the pastor preaching was preaching on Colossians. And he read this verse. And for whatever reason, my identity issue, what Christ had done, all of it clicked for me. And I want to read this. I wasn't planning on even reading this, but I feel led to do so. So Colossians 1.21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He, meaning Jesus, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That's when it clicked for me, that who I was was actually all in Christ. That when, when God looks down at me before Christ, He sees the Romans that we've been talking about. No, Brett doesn't seek God. Brett doesn't understand. Brett is not even righteous. No, not that one. <laughs> he, that's who I was, so God sees that. Jesus, what we see here and what Paul is trying to help us see as a propitiation, as a covering, Jesus gets on the scene. He steps right in front of me. And now when God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees all that Jesus did on the cross. Final, complete, whole, perfect. And He sees me. He sees Jesus in front of me. And so that is who I am. That's beautiful. And you know what I did to get to that point? Nothing. Jesus stepped in. I took and believed that through faith. And I accepted that gift as Him being my identity. That is what Paul is talking about. That is what a propitiation means. That awkward long term is means He covered us with His righteousness. And not only did He cover us with His righteousness, He gives us His righteousness. And we see that in the following verses as well. Brian talked about this last week, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we, we might become the righteousness of God. That is ridiculous. Jesus traded His righteousness, He traded all of His perfection to God and said, I'll take their sin. I'll take it. I got it. And Brett, you can have my righteousness now. And that, that is who we are. That is what Paul is trying to get us to see. That's what he's trying to talk to the people in Rome. Look, this Jesus, this Old Testament stuff, all this stuff is saying... You now are made new. You have been saved. Even though all of you have sinned, all of you have fallen short, all of you have the opportunity to stand in right relationship with me because of my Son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is take that grace, which is a gift, believe through faith, and it will be yours. This is so beautiful to me. And so... Friends, may we never be satisfied with sin in our lives, but may we also never forget that Christ's work on the cross was perfect. It was final. It was complete. There is nothing else that you and I need to do to be right before God because of what Jesus has done. May we also remember that the finished work of Christ is unfinished in us, and I pray that as Christ is working in us this way that we would embrace that, that although His work is finished, His work in us is unfinished. We are continually being brought into sanctification. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it unto completion. 
So we, have, we can't be complacent and be like, thanks Jesus, I'm good. There is never a point to which we are not being sanctified if we are following Christ in obedience in His Word. There should always be, honestly, there should be this tension in our lives. Nicole and I talk about this all the time. Like, when's it going to get easy? <laughs> you know, like, I feel like the last season was pretty hard. We moved to Salt Lake City from Nebraska thinking, all right, this is, this is the season that's going to be awesome. And it has been awesome. Don't get me wrong. You guys are all awesome. But there's still this constant, like, uh, God is still tweaking me. He's still doing operation on me, right? To which, actually, I'm more and more thankful for each day. I was talking to Teresa at our house fellowship on Thursday about how hard things in our life happen, and we look at, and I'm the same way. In the season, I'm like, what gives? Like, can I, can I seriously get a break? Like, I just, just leave me alone for like a year? You know, that's my flesh. Right? But I'm just, let me grow, let me just be happy, which is such a lame child excuse, right? That's what boys and little boys say. That's not the mark of a mature believer. So God is still bringing me to that. But as we were talking, I said something which convicted myself. I was like, you know, I think I look back at those seasons in my life, Nebraska and other things, and my whole life, and the more I think about it, and all of those hard things that got me to this point where I was like, oh, Jesus, this is real. This is, I want you. All those things that led up to me getting to this place was actually God's sovereign grace in teaching me that I need him even more. And so even, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when we are like, I, I'm done, stop. It is still God's grace to us. Because in that grace and in those hard times, God is forming us. God is making us more like Himself. And hopefully in that we recognize that this is, this is the work of Christ being completed in me one more step. And that is our goal. And that, that is our, that's our goal. May the work of Christ be completed in me at some point. Either Jesus comes again or we die. And hopefully we just never stop longing to have Christ mold us into His image. And so one of the final things as, we, as I kind of wrap this up um, is just this, one of these questions is, in what area of your life do you need to rest in the finished and perfect work of Christ? In what areas of your life do you need to rest in the finished and perfect work of Christ? So we can't miss this. The Old Testament way of redemption, Day of Atonement, Passover, sacrifices, all of that describes a temporary sin covering. But now, but now, love that. But now, Jesus enters the scene, removes our sin and guilt and shame. He clothes us with His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. And this is how we ought to live. This is how God bestows upon us His righteousness. So why did God do this? Why would God do this? Why this incredible transaction of sin to righteousness? Um, Verse 26 Back to Romans, Romans three twenty six. It was to show, talking about the righteousness, the redemption, justification, all of this. Says it was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier. Excuse me, of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
He did this to show his righteousness. He did this to show his goodness. And verse 27, we are left with the conclusion as well. Then what becomes of our boasting? <laughs> what in the world do I have to boast about as a, as a Christian man and a husband trying to figure this thing out? What in the world do I have to boast about? Brett's so holy. No, absolutely not. There is a, John 15, apart from him, I can do absolutely nothing. So everything that I am, everything that I have come to be is because of a work of Christ in my life through the Spirit that is now indwelling me as a professing believer in Jesus. And so Galatians 6.14 reminds us, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We have nothing to boast about. And so my question that I ask myself that I don't really like the answer to, though, is do you boast in the cross of Christ? Do you boast in what Christ did on the cross? Do you say to people, you have no idea how gracious God is. You have no idea what he did in my life. This is what Jesus did. I find myself not thinking that way most often, to be honest. And I pray and I hope that I and all of us would actually think that way. People ask me all the time, hey, man, how's it going? What's up? You know, and I, I want to think of a new phrase. I want to say something different. Everyone says, good, I'm great, I'm busy. That's a whole other tangent. But, right, what if we as a people answered that question with, hey, man, how's it going? What if we said, I'm better than I deserve, and I have nothing to boast about but the cross of Christ? You know how compelling that would be to somebody that has no idea what that even means, probably? But we say, I, I'm doing better than I deserve because I have nothing to even boast about in my life because of, without Jesus. If we could genuinely be that way and genuinely mean that and genuinely live that way, man, I think the unbelieving world would have something to look, look at in us and be like, whoa, these people are different. And so my challenge for us is, as those of you that are professing believers to, um, to think about and wrestle with is... Um, do we really believe this, what Romans is talking about? Do we really believe that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short? Do we really believe that we can be justified and redeemed through the grace of God that's a gift that we accept through faith? Do we really believe this? And if we really believe this, then our actions should say so. The way that we live should not be contradicting our belief system. And I personally struggle with that as well in seasons like we were talking about. It is hard. Life can be hard. But in those moments, I pray and my hope and my challenge would be that we believe this truth, we internalize it, we accept our identity in Christ, and we walk forward confidently knowing that what Jesus has done is complete and final, and then that leads us to live a life of faith. If you are not in that camp of professing belief in Christ, my encouragement to you is to read this text again on your own for a week or more. This passage has changed history. Martin Luther, Carl uh, Barth, just to name a couple guys. Tons of people have read this section and completely changed and wrecked their life in a good way. This is, this is incredibly deep and incredibly powerful. Um, and so, um, as, as just a conclusion, um, I just want to read this again because I just think it's so beautiful. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace 
as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as our propitiation, as our sin covering, as our atoning sacrifice, as our, as our Savior, by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show that God's righteousness, because of His divine forbearance, He had passed over our former sins, saying, I'm going to cover that. I'm going to give them another chance. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, You are you are good. You are faithful. You are strong. Infinitely more than my words could ever even express. Father, I'm so deeply thankful that You have chosen to put forward Jesus to be our covering, to step in front of us to trade His righteousness for our sin. What an unfair and ridiculous trade. Yet Jesus was obedient to the point of death on a cross to do Your will, Father. He was obedient to live a perfect, sinless life so that He would be the Lamb without blemish whose blood was enough. God, I pray that we would rest, that we would believe, that we would live in the perfect, complete, and finished work of Christ. And that people would see that we are different because I am no longer like this world. That we are no longer like this world. We are not of it. We are simply in it as citizens of Your kingdom. God, please help us to see where we can grow in this area. Father, thank You for Your Spirit that continues to sanctify and convict us of sin. Teach us. Lead us, God, into into greater depths. And may in all things, Father, may we say that You are still good. And in Christ alone is my hope. In Jesus' name. Redeeming Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit www.redeeminglifeutah.org.